This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Benjamin Day. And I am Jillian Mason. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. So today we are tackling Medicare Advantage. Now, this is the option Medicare enrollees have to use a private insurance company to administer their Medicare benefits instead of the traditional public Medicare program. Uh, <laughs> almost half of all Medicare beneficiaries are now enrolled in Advantage plans, uh, which represents a historic level of privatization of the almost you know 60-year program now. However, Medicare Advantage may be even more controversial than Medicare for all at this point. 80% of representatives in the House support the Medicare Advantage program, including many Medicare for all supporters. I suspect because Advantage plans are often offered at lower costs or lower premiums anyway, uh, which has made them extremely popular. However, just this weekend, the New York Times published kind of a blockbuster front page report on everything that is wrong about Medicare Advantage plans, which we will discuss today. And we're also going to hear from our many supporters and activists who have shared their Medicare Advantage stories. So, Jillian, would you like to introduce our guest for the episode? Of course I would. Our guest today is Dr. Susan Rogers. Uh, she spent most of her career at Stroger Hospital of Cook County, where she was a primary care physician for many years in one of their neighborhood clinics before she became a hospitalist and the director of medical student programs for the Department of Medicine. She's a past co-president of Healthcare for All Illinois. Shout out to Healthcare for All Illinois. <laughs> and she retired in 2014 and is now president of the Physicians for a National Health Program. Program, which is a national organization of over 25,000 physicians whose mission is to advocate for single-payer health care slash Medicare for all. We love working with the good doctors over at PNHP. Thank you so much, Susan, for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me to talk today. <laughs> yeah, PNHP is kind of our, our sister organization. I mean, started before Healthcare Now did and started, you know, really moving physicians into support of Medicare for all and has succeeded in getting a majority of doctors now to support Medicare for all after decades of, of organizing. Um, we're kind of the, or we organize everyone who's not a doctor or a medical professional. So our collaboration is really important. And uh, before we dive into all things Medicare for all, Dr. Rogers, I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about your background and why you became a Medicare for all advocate in the first place and got involved with PNHP. Oh, sure. I'd love to share that story. I lived in Chicago all my life. And when I went to medical school, I had said that I was going to, I went to medical school at University of Illinois in Chicago. And I said, I wanted to train at Cook County Hospital. It's now called Stroger Hospital, but mm -hmm. it's a large safety net, publicly funded hospital that is well renowned. Mm -hmm. But I trained- What ER is based on, right? Yes. <laughs> Show <laughs> ER. No, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, Stroger is the name of the man who was the county chairperson at the time who actually got the funding to build the hospital. Got so it. that's why it's Stroger Hospital. But when I went there, I, I realized that what I loved about 
training there and working there later as an attending was that all the decisions were based totally on healthcare and need and what the patient wanted or didn't want. I never asked a patient what kind of insurance they had because it didn't matter. We saw anyone and everyone who came through the door. Our biggest problem was that the volume was overwhelming, but we never turned away patients who could not pay and we did not prioritize patients who could pay. And so it was the, the best way, I think, to learn because you really learned what was important in making your decisions. The patients appreciated it. And it made it easy because I didn't have to think about other aspects of healthcare other than the medical decisions and what the patient wanted. And so it was it was like the perfect place to be. And so I left for a while and then came back. But while I was there at County, there were several people who were among the founders of PNHP who were there, who still actually are active in the organization. So I knew about the national work towards single payer, even though I was in my little oasis, you know, at <laughs> a county. Mm-hmm. But so I became aware of this program to spread this across the country. And I knew these people well. And so I always knew about PNHP. I always supported it, but I didn't become that. A- I was a dues paying member, but I didn't become that active until later on. And, you know, life gets in the way of activism. Sometimes you have young children, you get torn in different ways. But so I always wanted to become more active. And it wasn't until during the Obama administration and the Affordable Care Act, because he had said that when he was campaigning, he was going to support single payer. And I said, well, I have to know how to argue for this better because this is going to be Obama's plan. And I was a big Obama supporter. But then he didn't support it once he became president. Mm -hmm. But I was still an advocate for single payer. So that was when I really started learning more of the details, being able to argue for single payer and being much more active member of PNHP. And over the years since then, I've just grown in my activism and how much more I support it. And so here I am. That's my story. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. We love that. That's fantastic. So today we are talking about Medicare Advantage plans, also known as Medicare Part C. It's really just some of the most confusing shit I've ever waded (laughs) through. In terms of healthcare policy, everything is confusing, but Medicare Advantage in particular is sort of baffling. And so just tell me how, tell it to me straight, Susan. What is a Medicare Advantage plan and how is it different from actual Medicare? And why can they call it Medicare if it's not? Well, we call it Medicare Disadvantage, but let's start with what traditional Medicare is because that's so simple. The whole premise is simple. And traditional Medicare, we all pay into it through payroll taxes and it is free. The part A is free if you've worked for 10 years and contributed into the plan. And so what it is, is there is no network. Almost all doctors see Medicare patients. So you can go see anyone you want, anywhere you want. You can see a doctor today in New York and another one in California tomorrow because there is no narrow network. And so traditional Medicare is also a fee-for-service system, whereas the provider sees you, they bill for that service to the government, 
they get paid and everybody's happy. You got what you needed. They get paid for the work that they did. There's no question about, well, we have to see if we can do that or not. It provided, you know, medically necessary services. So that's simple, traditional Medicare. And so now there's a big, there's been a lot of talk. Well, this started years ago, back in the 80s, about how fee-for-service is really causing overuse. And that's the big problem here. So we have mm-hmm. to get private companies in the middle of this relationship, put them between the doctor and the patient to fix this problem. And that's what happened in the 70s. HMOs started, and those were very narrow networks because you worked for an HMO. It wasn't like it was a contract with an insurance company and you could have been 50 different providers and 50 different offices. And so, but HMOs did not really work. Um, There were a lot of reasons for that, but they evolved into broadening and spreading the privatization of healthcare and within Medicare. And that's how Medicare Advantage started. It was in the 80s when that became official. And that was where private insurance companies were now the middleman between the physician and the patient. And so that has evolved over the years until into this elaborate, I'm trying to find the politically correct word, but it's a, just a, a thievery that's going on. It's just stealing from the government what has happened over the years, even though Medicare Advantage, because it is Medicare, is supposed to provide all medically necessary services by definition. Who defines medically necessary? I went to school to figure that out. (laughs) However, what happens now is that they decide based on cost, whether it's medically necessary. So the whole priority, the whole focus on health care has changed once you put this middleman in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that and so now Medicare Advantage has just grown. It's blossomed because once. One pig gets to the trough. Every pig gets to the trough. And this is what has happened. Every insurance company is involved with Medicare Advantage, every health insurance company. And they brought in now other entities, too, to get into this this mix. And so what the privatization has done is it's changed the whole priority of Medicare from taking care of the patient in a simple, efficient way of a conversation of the patient with their doctor to decide what or what not to do. And it has changed that relationship to one that is actually more impersonable, more impersonal, because the decisions aren't made in the exam room anymore. I know that when I practice, that was what we talked about. And then when I left and the patient left. We had a plan. We knew what was going to be done. They knew. I knew what they wanted, what they didn't want, da, da, da. Now that's changed. And now after the exam room visit is over, you still don't know what's going to get done because it's not up to these two entities anymore. It's a, it's all up to the middleman. And so the middleman's growth, the middleman's role in this relationship has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And there's more and more people involved. And it's all motivated by profit. Mm-hmm. It's not the mission of taking care of the patient and making them better or whatever is not there anymore. It's all about mm-hmm. what can be done. So that's what Medicare Advantage is. It's an entity 
that has replaced the doctor-patient relationship to a relationship that involves somebody who, you know, is in an office who is deciding what's medically necessary. I mean, when you think of how absurd that concept is, and that, and this has, people have bought this as if that's going to be better. Someone who may not have a high school diploma is deciding what I need medically. Oh, I want that program. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can remember, I can remember the first time I got a denial letter from an insurance company about a test that one of my doctors wanted me to do. And they said that the process, the procedure was too investigational. And I was like, well, that's what a test is, is it not? You know, like, <laughs> I'm investigating my problem. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go with the doctor's point of view here rather than the insurance bureaucrat. Yeah. And yeah. so what's happened over the years is that insurance companies realize what a cash cow this is and it has just blown. And now there's more people in Medicare Advantage than there are in traditional Medicare. Right. Yeah. So you've described well how why the insurance companies are involved with Medicare now, because they know they can make a lot of money. And one of the one of the things mentioned in the New York Times article actually was that most insurance companies can make more money off of Medicare per, per patient than they can offering insurance to someone else, you know, who buys a plan on the exchange or in, in a workplace mm-hmm. through their employer. And they're able to do it through a bunch of various devices and schemes and mechanisms. So I did want to, I want to talk a little bit more in detail about what it means for people who are enrolled in the Medicare Advantage plans, because we, we sent out kind of a, an email to our list of 60,000 supporters asking them, if you're on Medicare, have you ever been enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan? If so, what was your experience with it? And we did get some people with good experiences who reported that they've had, you know, no issues with Medicare Advantage. We did get some really, some real true horror stories from people who are enrolled in, have been enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans. So we wanted to convey some of those stories and ask your opinion on them. Um, Mm -hmm. So we can really get down to how are these Medicare Advantage plans making so much money off of the system Mm -hmm. and what role are they playing? And so Jillian, did you want us, we're going to start with a couple, some of the negative stories. Jillian, did you want to read off a couple of those that we got in? Yeah, just to reiterate what you said, right, that we got over 100 responses and so many different kinds of responses as well. But there were definitely some common threads, lots of problems with delays, denials of coverage, limited networks, limited formulary, which means the number of drugs that they'll cover, which I just learned recently. Uh, So this was probably, I thought, one of the scarier stories that we got. It's a story from someone who wanted to remain anonymous in California. And she says this. I am now a retired healthcare provider and clinical psychologist. I worked for a managed care system that offered Medicare Advantage. We providers always called it Medicare Disadvantage, or in the days I worked there, Senior Disadvantage. Profit almost always seemed to take precedence over quality care. The ratio of nursing staff to patients was inadequate. In far too many instances, patients or their families had to fight to get referrals to specialists. Expensive procedures were often delayed. A 90-year-old woman 
woman I know who had broken her hip had to wait more than four days for surgery while going without food because they, quote, couldn't feed her and they didn't know when the surgery suite would be available and she had to be ready. The weight caused her health to deteriorate significantly. Another story that this woman tells is uh, the wife of an elderly patient of mine who was a brittle diabetic was released to her home before her sugar levels were under control. She died the next day. A patient of mine became suicidal because she had been waiting months for surgery to control symptoms of her Parkinson's disease, and she had given up hope she would ever get it. She finally did get it after the family's attorney called management and threatened to both sue and go to the press if it wasn't scheduled immediately. What I saw convinced me to never, ever sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan with my former employer or with anyone else. That that story really kind of struck a chord with us, and it really encompasses a lot of the different elements that folks pointed out there, the denial of coverage and this, this constant delay, and in particular, a delay with being able to see specialists. Gatekeeping and yeah. networks, all that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know, Susan, did you ever do you have a reaction to that story or does this resonate with some of the things you've been hearing at PNHP? Oh, clearly, yes. And that story, there's a million other stories that are just as atrocious and and wrong. And if we look at how Medicare Advantage is funded, because the way if we look at traditional Medicare, it's funded, we pay into the trust fund, the fee-for-service bills get paid through the trust fund, and everybody's happy. With Medicare Advantage, what they do is they pay providers what we call a capitation. That is X amount of dollars to pay for a particular patient for all their care for the year. Mm. And so what they do is you get X amount of money, and then the amount of the of money that you get will depend on the demographics of the patient, how old they are, what their sex is, what their medical problems are, other things like that to determine how sick they are. Because if the if the sicker they are, the more the capitation is so that they will be able to pay for their care. But what happens is that capitations like that really end up, that whole system end up paying, overpaying for healthy patients and mm. underpaying for sick patients. And right. so that is why they are motivated to delay care, to not provide care, to not let you see a specialist that you need. Most of these Medicaid adva- Medicare Advantage plans are not affiliated with large academic centers or cancer institute. Yeah. So if you get cancer, where are you going to go? You can live right across the street from MD Anderson and you may not be able to go. In, in fact, we actually had uh, someone who responded and said that they um, they got cancer and um, and they finally managed to get a referral to the Mayo Clinic. But then they found out, of course, that the Mayo Clinic, which is you know one of the most distinguished places in the world to get that kind of treatment, right? That the Mayo Clinic certainly wasn't going to take their Medicare Advantage plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so this this whole capitation has just created this large pot. And so if you look at, you know, med- the overhead to run traditional Medicare is less than 2%. Mm. It's, it doesn't take much out of the pool. If you look at these Medicare Advantage plans, by law, they get to keep 15% mm-hmm. of everything that they bring in. 
they they only have to pay 85% of all that they bring in towards healthcare. And so the way they can do that is by they deny care. How else are you going to pay these multi-million dollar salaries to these CEOs? Mm-hmm. Where is that so money is- coming from? So the whole idea that this plan was created to provide better care with and spend less money is a fantasy idea. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. math doesn't. I'm not an MBA, but I know that if I spend more money than I bring in, I have to change something. Yeah, yeah. What they've changed is not providing care. Right. And what you're saying, the simple math of it is traditional Medicare spends 98% of every dollar on Mm -hmm. providing care, whereas these for-profit Medicare Advantage plans spend at best 85%, probably less of every Mm -hmm. dollar on actual care. And all of that money that they're taking out has to come from somewhere. So it usually comes in the form of these delays, these denials, these ways of not spending the money uh, that it, we should be going towards the care of seniors. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I thought was uh, really interesting, another kind of common thread in the stories that we heard was that. For some people, Medicare Advantage was fine, but for other people, they found that as soon as they started to cause money, it cost the uh, insurers money, the things sort of went awry. And so someone who was anonymous in Virginia told us, I have Aetna MA uh, Medicare Advantage with prescription drug coverage. They had to cover over $30,000 for an ICU stay for me in 2020 for a high blood pressure crisis. Ever since, they have been nickeling and diming me about the pills I have to take for blood pressure. Their clerks harass my specialists constantly wanting to, quote, discuss alternative cheaper medications. Every refill is a hassle, not to mention the $90 copay for two of them. This is awful. And that wasn't the only person who talked about that kind of, um, you know, just like having to like constantly struggle for care, dealing with constant issues as soon as they as soon as they have some kind of a health problem. And uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Peter DiGregorio, who wrote in, it's like having a daily prostate exam. (laughs) (laughs) about having to deal with pre-authorizations and uh, and denials of care. So it sounds like when you're signing up for Medicare Advantage, A, you're signing up for a long relationship with their customer service department. (laughs) And B, it turns out that things might not be so rosy, I guess, when things start to go wrong. Well, that's exactly true. I mean, if you look at what you have access to, you have a limited network within Medicare Advantage and that you don't have your choice. And it's very difficult to even find out what doctors you can see. If you've been seeing Dr. Smith, you can look on the list, his name or her name may be there, but you don't know if they're in your plan. They may Mm. be in that insurance company's network, but it may not be your plan. So it's impossible to really figure out who you can see. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to figure out where exactly can you go. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to figure out what's really covered. Mm-hmm. And it's that so, lack of transparency, right? There that is becomes right. one of the there big problems at all. And there's no way to really navigate that whole system to figure out who to complain to, to who can fix it. Mm-hmm. They sometimes call this uh, rationing by inconvenience, right? That's a good way to put it, because people don't even know that they can appeal decisions Mm -hmm. or do any of that. And so and then there's these co-pays for things that you weren't expecting. 
You know, if you want even the copay for drugs, even chemotherapy, if you have Medicare Advantage, there's a 20% copay for all Mm -hmm. chemotherapy. People don't know that. And so, especially the way it's marketed, you get to go to the gym, you can go to silver sneakers, you get all these other little benefits and all. And if you're not sick, it sounds good. If you're a young 65, if you have no medical issues, but people forget. And I think, you know, people need to change the way we approach insurance is that you don't buy insurance for today. Mm-hmm. Buy insurance for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, my car, which is parked in front of my house, is totally fine. But I will not <laughs> drive it without insurance because I don't know if it's going to be totally fine the next time I drive it. I feel fine now. Am I going to feel fine tomorrow? I hope so. Mm-hmm. But will I, will I bet everything I own on that? No, because you don't know. And so this whole marketing thing about buy a plan that suits your needs. What does that mean? Your needs Mm -hmm. are to choose your provider, to choose your hospital. That's what you Mm -hmm. need. And so this whole myth that privatization improves something that the government has done is just a myth. Mm -hmm. And this whole insistence that we approach healthcare as if it's a market commodity that only works if you're buying shoes. That's on the market. You know what kind of shoes you want. You either want dress shoes or I want running shoes. You're very specific about what you want. You don't know what you need in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea is shop around because they push for price transparency. You don't know what you need. Yeah. 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 You know, the another doesn't even know what you need at first, you know? So yeah. <laughs> another frequent complaint was about those Medicare Advantage ads that we all get barraged with constantly and just constant complaints about false promises. You know, like you said, those extra coverage, you know, you get your go to the gym or something like that. People not actually being able to take advantage of those little extras when it came time down, it came down to it. So yeah, a lot of medical benefits like hearing aids and vision and dental Dental. benefits are very, very minimal. You know, if you need your teeth clean, yeah, we'll do that. If you need an extraction and a crown, Mm -hmm. well, (laughs) you know, you That's think you're getting a benefit and then it's not there really. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah. So one thing I wanted to turn to before we got too deep down the rabbit hole, and we'll, we'll summarize some of these differences between Medicare Advantage later, because um, we're seeing, I think, some patterns here with the stories and what you're describing, Dr. Rogers. But we did get a lot of people who reported us to us that they were relatively happy with their Medicare Advantage plans, um, didn't have any issues. Some people were upset that we were critical of Medicare Advantage. And I I do want to be clear that we're not shaming people who have chosen uh, Medicare Advantage plans. And in fact, I think we can all kind of understand um, most people make the decision based on the premiums that they pay for the plan compared to maybe the premiums they'd have to pay for traditional Medicare plus a Medigap plan. A Medigap is also a private plan. This is what we call uh, is used to supplement the public uh, Medicare pl- uh, program. So it's all, again, super complicated, a web of stuff. So Jillian, I'm, w- I'm wondering if you can maybe tell us one or two of the stories of the folks who said they had a good experience. And then Dr. Rogers, I want to talk a little bit about how, how did we get to this point where about 50%, half of Medicare enrollees are now choosing Medicare Advantage. Yeah. Why do they choose that? 
And how is it that Medicare Advantage is able to offer lower prices than the traditional program? So uh, Jillian, go ahead with the story. Well, so, you know, again, like a lot of patterns, you know, emerged in in these different kinds of stories. Some people were just like, don't touch my Medicare Part C. They really just like their plan. But then a kind of more nuanced story started to kind of emerge. And so I wanted to uh, tell a story that my fellow Texan, Carolyn Riddle, gave us, which was, I was with Humana for a while and found their website to be slow and unorganized and their customer service poor. However, response times were still better than the awful wait times at Medicare. She asks, are tax dollars at work? I've changed to Aetna and I've had better service. My premium is $0, but copays to specialists increased to 50 this year. Since I don't see many specialists, this is a big savings compared to spending over $250 a month on Medigap. Also, my tier one prescription drugs have had a zero have had zero dollar copays so far. Original Medicare is probably a good deal for people who are extremely ill and need specialist care or frequent hospitalization. For those of us blessed with reasonable good health, advantage plans are more economical. So again, we get this idea that like for people who are for a lot of people who are healthy, you know, the Medicare Advantage plan might be good for them. Well, that's the big marketing ploy, you know. I mean, Joe Joe Namath told me that, so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the things that, yeah, the the cost may be low, but like I was saying, you buy insurance for tomorrow. You don't buy it for for how well you are today. And what people don't realize, too, is, God, I knew what I was going to say when you were saying that, and now the thought left me. But part of it is that people don't realize that there are out-of-pocket expenses that you end up paying for Medicare Advantage that you may not realize if you don't need them. But one of the things with traditional Medicare is that you have to buy a supplement insurance. And so that covers that medical gap that traditional Medicare has. With the Medicare Advantage, you don't have to pay that supplement you know, so it seems cheaper, but you may not be able to go where you want. You may not be able to get the care you want. And it comes back to the denials and all of that. You have a limit on how much, you know, up to what you uh, are covered for and then beyond that. And it doesn't take much to get past that limit. So people who believe that because I'm healthy today, I'll be okay tomorrow. There's millions of people who don't live to repeat that. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're, we, you have to look in the future. One of the things, too, that people don't realize is to buy this supplemental plan with traditional Medicare, which will cover any out-of-pocket expenses you have if you are hospitalized and things like that. It takes care of the Part B that gets automatically covered in Medicare Advantage. But y- when you buy this supplement, What you pay for the supplement is going to be less than what your maximum out-of-pocket expenses could be to cover care if you were hospitalized for traditional Medicare. So it's, Mm -hmm. again, I pay for my car insurance. I hope I never have to file a claim. So you can't just look at the cost benefit because- What is the benefit of uh, knowing that you may go bankrupt for that? And the other thing, too, about the the supplemental plan with traditional Medicare is that you have to buy it when you first enroll in Medicare. So 
you enroll in Medicare when you're 65, you have to buy that plan then. Mm-hmm. If you don't buy it then, you're not guaranteed to being able to get it later. Let's say now that you're 70 and then you, you've got some more medical issues, you want to buy the supplemental plan, you may not be able to because mm-hmm. you've got now uh, other concurrent conditions. And there are only four states in this country that guarantee that you can buy a supplemental plan. Mm-hmm. Four. There's mm-hmm. four. Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think 90% no. of the population live there. So it does. So most people do not have access to getting supplemental insurance coverage when you get We're all going to get sicker as yeah. we get older unless yeah. we have sudden death. I mean, it's the way it goes. I was just going to say, like, eventually people are going to end up paying one way or the other. I think that's something that a lot of folks don't really understand. It reminds me a little bit of Candy Crush, right? You know, the game on your phone, right? You download it and it's free to download, right? But then there are in-app purchases. And so, you know, they're constantly encouraging you to spend more money. If you want an extra life in the game, right? You have to spend more money in the app or whatever. So it's technically free to play. But that being said, you're going to end up spending a lot of money if you want to prolong your life in the game. Of course, I had no this idea becomes... you had a Candy Crush addiction, Jillian. This is an outing. <laughs> yourself. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real... Traditional real Medicare problem. can help you with that. Right. <laughs> it's, but most it's a people real don't have problem. that money. Yeah. But that's yeah. what people yeah. don't you don't have that money. And if you look at the average income for people over 65 is thirty thousand dollars a year. That's right. And most people over 65 are not sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars yeah. to cover un, yeah. you know unexpected medical expenses. And I think this is probably exactly why Medicare Adventures is actually growing in popularity. I mean, one thing we've learned from the exchanges from the Affordable Care Act is that almost everyone buys the cheapest premium plan, which uh, it's like vast majority, over 80%. And that does not mean it's going to be the cheapest plan for them, even in year one, nevertheless, year two or year three. And it's just, it's too hard and too complicated for most people to be able to figure out what it's going to cost them down the road, what it's not covering, what the the pain and suffering of having a delayed uh, emergency procedure is going to be, you know, things like that. You can't see when you're just browsing through a website. So the vast, vast majority of people make decisions based on the premium and Medicare Advantage has this advantage, has this, this is really their only advantage is that they are able to offer cheaper premiums because they get overpaid by the government. And, and they're trying to appeal to sort of a healthier population. And that was the marketing ploy on the exchange, too, is that you have people with limited income who buy a $200 a month premium. These are not the people who have $10,000 sitting in the bank to pay the deductible. deductible, right. So, And I call their insurance card is nothing more than a donor card because Mm, that insurance mm. company is getting your money every month, but Mm -hmm. you can never use the product that you're buying. Mm -hmm. 
So what about for people who are on Medicare Advantage plans right now, which we've obviously found we have a lot of Medicare for all supporters who want to make healthcare right for everyone, but they do have Medicare Advantage plans right now, maybe because they feel like they're healthy right now, maybe because the premium is really hard for them for a Medicare gap plan. If we were to uh, abolish the Medicare Advantage program, go back to a fully public Medicare program, what would the impact be on Medicare enrollees, both those in traditional and those who are on Advantage plans? I think the enrollees would be pleasantly surprised at being able to go wherever they wanted to go and not have to fight for what they need. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that will there be a flux of people who are now trying to access care. That's been the argument against single payer, too, is now, mm-hmm. oh, now all these other, you know, and I can tell you the only time I saw patients in the emergency room who were there because they just decided to come or people who were lonely on Christmas Eve. Mm. Nobody else wants to go sit Saturday afternoon. I have nothing to do. <laughs> Let me go to the ER. Nobody <laughs> does that. No. <laughs> so people there may be, but then that comes from prioritizing patients by their need versus by their checkbook. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good distinction. Yeah. yeah, that you may have to you may have to wait for care, but that's because the people who need the care most are getting it exactly. first. Exactly. Yeah. And right yeah. now, those people are dying from the care that they don't get because somebody else who is a better payer gets admitted. That's what happened with COVID. Patients yeah. get transferred to a hospital that had the equipment and a bed for them because they may have been on Medicaid or maybe even unfunded. Horrifying. That is absolutely horrifying. We talk a lot at Healthcare Now and at PNHP about Medicare for all, right, which is something that we're fighting for, right? But of course, that takes on a different meaning when Medicare itself is being privatized, right? So why would you say, Susan, that ending the privatization of Medicare is important for our movement for Medicare for all? Because that is the only way to get the profit motive out of healthcare decisions. It, you have a conflict of interest if a doctor is there to make the best decision and do what's best for the patient that they're taking care of versus a privatized company who is deciding what they will pay for. And they use that term coordinate care. They're not coordinating care. That's what I did at Cook County in that single thing. I called, you know, the surgeon right. and say, I really have this patient that needs to get into clinic quickly and da-da-da, mm-hmm. and it gets done. I coordinated that care. They coordinate whether it gets paid for or not. That's mm-hmm. not coordinating care. There's a big, big difference. And so there's no role for them. There's no role for them at all. And I think that physicians can get back to being the physicians they wanted to be when they decide to go to medical school. I'm very, very worried now about, you know, they say it's doctor burnout. You know, there is a lot of burnout Mm -hmm. now, but it's not the kind of burnout issue that I struggled with when I was younger before I, I struggled about too many calls. I'm tired. I've been up all night or I have too many patients on my list. Da, da, da. I didn't complain about I have to spend, you know, two hours on the phone tonight talking to, you know, Humana. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. now doctors are spending too much time doing things that they did not go to medical school to learn how to do. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what's changing. It's changing the whole landscape of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And if people don't see that, you will never get decisions made in your best interest. And you can't blame the doctor for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and now doctors are in many are in a very they're between a rock and a hard place. You know, you've got student loans. You may have young children. You got this. and You need a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have to take this job where they're going to interfere with my decisions and tell me to do this and tell me to add these diagnoses to their lists so I don't get fired? Because most are employees now. They're not, you know, Dr. X who has a shingle out in front of an office. They're Mm -hmm. part of a group. 70% of physicians are employed and they're treated no differently than any other employee. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we went to medicine for. Yeah, yeah, no. And that's, uh, I would argue, that's not what most people go to the doctor for. Exactly. <laughs> and you won't find the doctor you're expecting to see because, yeah. you know, because their job has been changed. And I know I did go to work for an HMO when I finished my, I was uh, finished my training. And back then, you know, of course, the HMOs were the way to go on. And the man who ran that was a physician, my boss was a physician. And I was always able to argue with him about this needs to be done because he he knew it. He knew medicine. He would, you know, could understand it. And it wasn't just, well, that was maybe why our group went bankrupt. Because all the other doctors were like me, too, arguing for our (laughs) patients and this needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you really highlighted how basically all the reasons we're fighting for Medicare for all are the same reasons that we would want to return Medicare to a, a fully public program that, you know, our current healthcare system has too many for-profit middlemen who skim off too much money and there's not funds left for caring for everyone. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's why we're fighting for Medicare for all. And that's also why we want a public Medicare for all program. And it's kind of frightening because I think this country just doesn't see also how it's not just health care that's being privatized. There's mm. almost every common good that's being privatized, privatized. Right. Yeah. I mean, why does tax in Mississippi have no water? Why does and New Orleans have no public schools? Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's, there's examples all over. It's it's just frightening. Yeah, it's something that we see over and over again that like one of the unintended consequences of privatization in healthcare is just that it um it corrupts the relationship between doctor and patient. Mm-hmm. And I always say that I when I talk to people in Texas here who are vaccine hesitant or or hesitant to, you know, even talk to a doctor, a lot of it has to do with their experiences, not with medicine, but their experiences with paying for it. And a lot of that mistrust has to do with the fact that um, you know, people feel like they're a commodity when they go into their doctor's yeah. office and not like a person. Yeah. Because people are insisting that healthcare is a commodity and it should be run like anything else on the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we all get called consumers, not patients. <laughs> no, so so if if folks who are listening would like to learn more about trying to end privatization in Medicare, get involved with organizing, how would they do that? How would they learn more about PNHP, your organization, and, and get involved with this campaign? Well, I will say that PNHP has a wealth of information on our website, and you could go to pnhp.org 
And there's a wealth of information there. There's a daily news thing that we send out. So all of that is there on the webpage. There's also another webpage, protectmedicare.net that PNHP puts out. And there's a lot of information on that particular website that focuses on Medicare, Medicare Advantage, the ACO REACH program, all the privatization issues of Medicare are on that site. And then there's links to other things all over. So there's a wealth of information. There are chapters in many of our cities they're not at all over, but within almost all the states and many cities, there are PNHP chapters, which you can join even if you are not a physician. Mm-hmm. The, the social activism that's on the, on the ground, we need everybody, not just physicians. We're busy fighting insurance companies, so we still need all these other uh-huh. <laughs> We do need people to argue and to share your stories with and to advocate for Medicare for all and, you know, and stop the privatization of Medicare. So those are two sites. Great. Thank you. And we, we have many in many states, the Healthcare Now chapter and PHP chapter are the same organization. They, we have a somewhat symbiotic relationship with each other. So thank you so much for, for joining us. This supplements an earlier episode we did on the DCEs and ACO REACH program, which I know I'm throwing a lot of acronyms out at the end here, but that was mm-hmm. a, a separate but similar privatization effort of Medicare that's more recent than Medicare Advantage. But yeah, I'm hoping that this big New York Times explosive investigation will have an impact in addition to all the advocacy work that PNHP is doing that we're also doing at Healthcare Now. And I want to thank the podcast team before we leave. Podcast manager is Angelique Davis. Our researcher for this episode was Lindsay Bache. Our show notes writer uh, was Jerry Katz. And our, our audio editor was Arena Budanova. So thank you so much to the to volunteers who make this podcast. And thank you so much, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much, Susan. But um, <laughs> thank you also to our listeners who submitted their stories. And you can anticipate a report coming out from Healthcare Now telling some of those stories as well. So thank you so much. And Absolutely. stay safe and stay dangerous. Bye, everyone. Thank you. 